to you. We thank you for being present with us, for infusing this time of worship with your spirit. Do in us corporately what is your plan for this time and this place. And we pray this through Christ Jesus. Amen. I encourage you to share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship today before you're seated. We had a great Thanksgiving and uh, maybe a little time with, with family and had the opportunity to uh, just have a little bit of relaxation and it's uh, back to winter again, uh, finally have it. And, uh, so we're, we're glad to, to see you today and uh, if you're a guest this morning, we especially welcome you and pray that uh, this will be a wonderful time of worship together for each of us. A few things I want to highlight in the bulletin because of the Thanksgiving weekend, we will not be having any services tonight. And uh, it's hard to believe, but next Sunday is the first Sunday of Advent. And uh, in preparation for that, next Saturday morning, uh, if you're interested, there will be a group of people coming together to begin the process of decorating our our sanctuary and worship space. If you're interested in that, you can contact Bruce Brenneman. You see the information in the bulletin related to that. Uh, There are a number of prayer concerns. Obviously, we want to continue to pray about uh, situations related to us, as well as things around the world and uh, things in the Middle East, Gaza, and now a little more uprising again in Egypt. And uh, we, we just continually need to pray for God's grace on our world and uh, for his mercy upon us. I did want to mention that uh, Harold Grant's brother died yesterday after a lengthy illness. And I know that uh, the family would appreciate our prayers. 
We, uh, we can have the privilege this morning of uh, dedicating another one of our children to God. And uh, as uh, Brandon and Emily come, it's exciting to know that uh, Katie, is, uh, their adoption was official a week ago Friday. And we're excited for them and for her. And uh, we are just, uh, just so excited to have the opportunity to dedicate her to God today. Brandon and Emily, you have brought this child whom God has given you to be dedicated to God and to his service. By this act, you signify your own faith in Jesus Christ and your desire that she receive the benefits of dedication to God and the prayers of the church and may early learn to know and follow the will of God. And thus doing, may live and die a Christian, attaining in the end of this earthly life to everlasting life in the kingdom of God. But in order that this may be accomplished, it will be your duty as parents to teach her early the fear of the Lord and to watch over her education that she may not be led astray by false teachings or doctrines, to direct her mind to the Holy Scriptures as expressed in the will and authority of God for all humanity, and to direct her feet to the sanctuary, to restrain her from evil associates and habits, and as much as possible to bring her up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Will you endeavor to do so by the help of the Lord? In Mark chapter 10, we read these words. People were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. And he said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms put his hands on them, and bless them. What name have you given your child? Katie Elizabeth Christine. Katie Elizabeth Christine Hoffman, on behalf of your parents, your family, this congregation, I dedicate you to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. As I... Always mention when we dedicate our children to God, this is really a covenant that we are entering into together. That uh, she is surrounded by by the grace of God himself, by uh, the grace that he's given to Brandon and Emily, to his parents, to teach her, to train her to know God, and our part as well, the grace of God through us. And she may, you you may have... uh, times of, of impacting Katie's life through a Sunday school class or uh, a girls club or just around the church, around town. And uh, I just want, we want to commit ourselves anew to her, to our part in developing her faith and nurturing her faith through Christ. So I want to invite you to stand and to affirm your commitment to her and to this family. As the church of Jesus Christ... Will you, with the help of God, do everything possible to help Katie grow in the nurture and grace of Jesus Christ? Will you love her? Will you be a godly witness to her? And will you help her to know and accept the grace of God in her life? If so, answer, we will. Heavenly Father, we come again today to thank you for the gift of children. And especially for the gift of Katie. We thank you for bringing her into Brandon and Emily's lives. Thank you for your grace upon her. And we thank you for the miracle that she is. 
Lord, we pray that your mercy would rest upon her every day of her life and that she would know your grace to her. We pray, Father, that as she grows, that she will grow in a desire to love you and to know you and to follow you. Father, we pray that your hand of of grace would be upon her life. Protect her from everything that would turn her away from you. And help her to know the depths of your love. And help Brandon and Emily as parents to, to know how to communicate your love and grace to her. Give them all of the wisdom that they need as parents. and Patience and love and grace to nurture her in the faith of Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that you will help us as a congregation to be your loving witnesses in Katie's life. Whether that happens in a structured setting of a class or the unstructured times of just being around her. Let our witness, let our lives exude grace that she would have a positive image of your church and your people and of you. So we place her in your hands. We dedicate her to you. And we pray that she will always love you. And we ask this through Christ Jesus. Amen. Maybe seated. Scripture reading today is from Joel 2, 21 through 32. Be not afraid, O land. Be glad and rejoice. Surely the Lord has done great things. Be not afraid, O wild animals, for the open pastures are becoming green. The trees are bearing their fruit. The fig tree and the, and the vine yield their riches. Be glad, O people of Zion. Rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the autumn rains in righteousness. He sends you abundant showers, both autumn and spring rains as before. The threshing floors will be filled with grain. The vats will overflow with new wine and oil. I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten, the great locust and the young locust, the other locusts and the locust swarm, my great army that I sent among you. You will have plenty to eat until you are full. You will praise the name of the Lord your God, who has worked wonders for you. Never again will my people be shamed. Then you will know that I am Israel, that I am the Lord your God, and that there is no other. Never again will my people be shamed. And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show you wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will be deliverance, as the Lord has said among the survivors whom the Lord calls. I'd like to invite the ushers forward to receive our morning offering. And children ages 2 to 5 are dismissed for Children's Church. Morning by morning, I wake up to find the power and comfort of God's hand in mine. Season by season, I watch Him amaze. Of the mystery of his perfect way. 
Pray to God because He is always faithful. As we pray today, if you'd like to use the altar rail as a place where you come and pray, please join me. How can we begin to truly describe your faithfulness? We continually fall short of our promises. We continually fail to live up to our expectations. We hurt each other and And yet you have declared, and we have seen it with our own eyes, that you are always faithful. There's never been a moment when you haven't been faithful. Never a moment when you made a promise and didn't keep it. Lord, we come today to worship you, and to honor you, and to praise you, because you are faithful And we thank you. This past week, we have focused on Thanksgiving in this nation. 
We have so much for which to give thanks. So many blessings. So many things that we take for granted. We pray that this holiday that that reminds us of the need to give thanks and all the reasons for which to give thanks, that it would be implanted in us more than just one day or even a week, a year, but every day. That when people look at us, they would see us as thankful people. We pray that you would embed thankfulness in our hearts. Lord, as we come today, there are many burdens that are a part of our lives. There are those among us who are struggling with grief. We think especially of Harold Grant and his family. We pray that you will comfort every grieving heart with your spirit. We pray for all who are struggling with illness and pain and the various ways in which it comes to us. And we ask for your healing. We pray, Father, that you would help us as we think about the future of our lives. Help us to live with an openness to you. That wherever you lead us, wherever you take us, we are willing and excited to go. Help us to be patient with you. As you call us to wait and tarry for your perfect timing. Help us to trust you in all of the decisions that we need to make. Father, we pray for our world. We think of the conflicts around the world and particularly in the Middle East. We pray that you would bring peace. We thank you for the ceasefire accord earlier this week, and we pray that this will hold, that no more innocent lives will be lost, that the grasping for power would be replaced by a willingness to be humble and to want peace. Father, we pray for all those who have already been affected by the violence and the war and the bombings. We pray that you would bring comfort to families that are grieving, to communities that are grieving. And we pray that you will do what you alone can do, bring peace. Father, we continue to pray for the Ministry of Operation Christmas Child, and as the boxes are being distributed and sent forth, we pray that miracles will take place through these little gifts that people all over the world have put together. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your many blessings. Let our hearts overflow with thanksgiving all that you give to us, for all that you do in this world, for who you are. And we pray this through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.
It's kind of unusual that um, the Sunday following Thanksgiving is not the first Sunday of Advent. It, it doesn't happen all that often. And to, between the, the church calendar and the American calendar, secular calendar, we sort of are in this ecclesiastical no man's land today. There is a sense of, you know, not only exactly what to do with this day, but actually, actually in the church calendar, today is the Feast of Christ the King. This is a day that, that concludes, the Sunday that concludes the, the year of the church calendar. It begins at Advent, where we think about preparing for the coming of Christ, and moves to Christmas, where we celebrate the birth of Christ, the incarnation, God in Christ. And then we move to Epiphany, where we, uh, we commemorate the, the revelation, the manifestation of God in Christ to all people all over the world. And then we move into Lent, where, where we think about the, the passion and the death of Christ. And then Easter, where we celebrate the resurrection of Christ and, and the new life that Christ gives his people. And then we come to Pentecost and the birth of the church. And, and this is a time of, of living and growing in Christ as God's people. And as we come to the end of Pentecost, and Advent is, is the beginning of the church calendar, we come to this last Sunday, we're talking about Christ the King. And, and this is a day where we remember that no matter what's happening, Christ is King. He is Lord. And God is in control of all things. And that's a word that, that God's people have needed to hear through the centuries. It's a word that we need to hear to remember that despite whatever's happening in the world, God is still in control. God is still with his people. The church is still vibrant. And it's a word that the people of God through the centuries have needed to hear. And we see that in this passage we read from the second chapter of Joel's prophecy. Things are bad in Israel as Joel's prophecy begins. The entire first chapter and and a fair section of the second chapter describe what's going on in Israel. And it's bad. And locusts have invaded the land. And he says, what the first group of locusts didn't eat, the next group will eat. And what they don't eat, the next group will eat. And what they don't eat, the next group will eat. It's devastation. It is affecting not only the crops, but the animals, the human beings. Everything is in disarray. And the people of Israel feel completely hopeless. Joel says that it is because of their sins. That this has happened. It is because they have rejected God again. It's because they have turned from God. It's because they have decided that they don't need God. That he has sent this on them. Now that really wouldn't surprise them to to hear Joel say that that this, this terrible disaster is God's wrath on them. That's how people in the ancient world always saw things because they were much more in tune to the spiritual world than we tend to be. For them, everything is about the spiritual world. When two nations fight each other, the outcome of that battle is not really about the two armies fighting. It's about their gods fighting in the heavens. And whichever god is greater and stronger than that army on earth is going to win the battle. And so... 
when Joel says to Israel, this is, this is the wrath of God, this is the punishment of God, they understand that. Now, that's a little bit harder for us to understand because we tend to shy away from those kinds of statements. We, we feel uncomfortable saying, well, this happened because God did it. And I think our caution is probably wise. Because there are lots of things that happen in the world that are not because of God's wrath. They're simply because we live in, live in a fallen, broken, fallible, sinful world. And when sin entered the world, it didn't just mess up our relationship with God. It didn't just mess up our relationship with other people. It also messed up all of creation. And so we have disasters that come. And we have these, these things that happen in the world. But its root is still sin. If you trace it back far enough. What would be surprising to the people that Joel writes to and to the people of the ancient Near East is not that that what has happened to them is the result of a God being angry. But the fact that the wrath of God is not intended just to be vindictive. But it has uh, as its purpose redemption. That would surprise all the other nations of the, of the world. Because for them, their gods are nothing but vindictive. They, they worship gods that, that are not interested in doing good for human beings. They're interested in using human beings and getting out of human beings everything they can. Because they don't care about human beings. Yahweh alone is different in that respect. And Joel says the wrath that is upon you is not just because God is angry with you, but it's because God wants to turn you around. He wants to give you a new perspective. He wants to give you a new life. He wants you to see that the decisions you're making are leading you to destruction. And he can't just sit back and let that happen. And the only way to get your attention is to do something drastic. And I suspect that for the church, sometimes God needs to do some drastic things. Sometimes we, God needs to step in or to allow some drastic things to happen to get our attention. Because we are so enamored with ourselves, we have forgotten who we worship. And God allows things to come to his people Because it's the only way he can open our eyes. It's the only way sometimes that he can shake us up and help us see the reality of where our lives are leading us, individually and corporately. But God's God's wrath and whatever comes is, is because he wants to redeem us. He wants to change us. And when we come to verse 21, Joel begins to describe some of that change. He says, the purpose is not to just destroy you. The purpose is to transform you. And in verses 21 to 26, he talks about the the fact that we don't need to fear. Put away your fears, he says, and rejoice. Because God is restoring your fortunes. God is bringing things back to the way they should be. He speaks to the land and he says to the land, the crops that were not we're not uh, growing, are going to grow. And to the animals, it's going to be better. And to human beings, rejoice. Because things are changing. God wants to restore your fortunes. All is not lost. Now, sometimes I, I get very frustrated with when I hear Christians around the world feeling, you know, living with this sense of, of pessimism about the world. 
Now, you heard it all during the election. If, if this person's elected, then life is over. If that person's elected, we're done. You know, it doesn't matter what side of the political spectrum we're on. I heard it from both ways. And if this happens, we might as well just fold up our tents and go home because all is lost. And I know that's how we feel sometimes. And I'm sure that's how the people of Israel feel as this prophecy unfolds. But Joel wants us to understand that that's not the end. There is always hope in God. And God's plan is to restore his people. To give us good things. To bring blessings upon us. And the blessings may not always be physical blessings. They may not always be material blessings. But they are blessings nonetheless. I think it's interesting too that he says, do not fear. You know, fear is is never from God. Fear is, is never something that God puts within us. Now we talk about fearing the Lord. But that's not that's just because our English, we don't have a hard time finding a good English word to translate the Hebrew and Greek words that that's talking about. It really means re- respect the Lord. Live in awe of God. But it doesn't mean be afraid of God. Be anxious about who God is. God doesn't want us to be afraid. Fear is, 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 comes to us when our focus is on us and our circumstances instead of on God. How many times, just in the Christmas story, do we hear the angels say to people, do not fear? Because our natural response is fear. And the angel comes and says, this is of God. You don't have to be afraid. When God is at work in in the church, when God is at work in his people, it's not fear. It's joy. It's joy. Because God is working in us and he is transforming things in a way that we could have never dreamed possible. But you'll notice as we move to verses 31, 28, 29, 30, 31, he says, I'm going to pour out my spirit on you. See, the real, the real apex of God's blessing is not material stuff, as important as that is. The apex of God's blessing is his spirit. It is his spirit on us. And you'll notice he says, I'm pouring out my spirit. He's very clear on all people. Young people, old people, men, women, servants, everybody. All of my people are going to get my blessing. I like that word, pour out my blessings on you. Because in my mind, sometimes we think of God's blessings as just a little trickle coming out. You know, the other day I was... I had to get the hose out to uh, spray off something. We were putting things away for the winter. Uh, I think it was Friday for the snow hit on Saturday. And, uh, you know, so I'm, I'm unwinding the hose to, to get it and, and turn on the water full blast and all just a little trickle coming out. And it's because the hose was kinked in different places. You know how that happens. I think sometimes we think of the Spirit of God like that. Just a little trickle that comes out when God wants to gush his Spirit on. I think sometimes we're afraid of God really pouring out his spirit on, his, on us as his people. We get a little bit nervous about, as he's talking here about visions and signs and miraculous things. I mean, we like that as long as 
we can have a little bit of control over it. What we don't like is when God starts working in ways that we can't control, that we can't explain, that we can't get our hands and our minds around. That makes us nervous. And that's why there are people, Christians in the world and whole churches in the world who say, yeah, we don't really think God works the same way he did back then. We don't really think that, that, the, that the spirit works the same way because we want to confine God's spirit into ways that we can explain and we can understand. But God is not going to be confined. God wants to pour out his spirit upon us because what God wants for us is always bigger and higher and deeper and wider and greater than anything we could imagine. And sometimes that means that God's going to work in ways that we can't explain, in ways that make us stand back and say, wow, that is amazing. And sometimes God works in ways that we're able to grasp. But it's always more than we can imagine. Because God wants to do so much more than than the way our minds that confine him are often willing to let him work. And if we would let go and just let God do what he wants to do, we would be amazed at what could happen through God's people, through the church in this world. Like one of the reasons the church has such little impact in society is because we are so, you know, we're just always confining what we want the Spirit to do. And God wants to break out of that if we'll let Him. When you get to verse 32, He talks about offering redemption to all who call on His name. And I think that's a key element, call on his name. I think that's what releases the spirit. I think that's what puts us in the place to understand what God wants to do and be willing to let God do what he wants to do. Because to call on the name of God is to acknowledge that we need him. That we can't do this on our own. That God is so much bigger than us and God wants to do more than any of us could imagine. And it is a humble spirit that calls on God. I mean, over and over again, Jesus confronts the religious leaders of Israel about their unwillingness to acknowledge their need for God. It is the great sin of pride that they live with and that keeps them from seeing Jesus for who he is and being willing to let God work in their lives because they just can't fathom that they don't have all the answers, that they haven't figured it all out. And Jesus keeps coming to them and saying, look, the people who really experience what God wants to do in their lives are the people who say, I need God. I have struggles. I'm messed up. I've tried and tried and tried. and There's nothing I can do with my life outside of God working in my life. And we surrender. And there is in that surrender a freedom Sometimes it's hard for us to see because we see surrender as letting go. And God sees surrender as the open door for coming and filling us individually and corporately. And it's no wonder that we don't see God do great things in his people. 
because we believe that we have all the answers. I suspect that's one of the reasons why we are seeing a greater movement of the Spirit in third world countries than we are in this country or in most of the West. Because in most of the third world countries, there is nothing to hang on to but God. It's not difficult for people to say, I've got nothing to offer. I have nothing to bring. It's God or nothing. But we who have so much want to rely on what we have, what we know, our possessions, our, our education, our wealth. We want to hang on to those things and we somehow in the back of our minds have come to believe that that is what, we, what life is about. And Joel is reminding us, no, that's not what life's about. Those are great blessings from God and we give thanks to God for them. But if you really want to know the spirit poured out into your life, if you really want to know the transforming power of God, you have to let go. You have to surrender. I say, Lord, it's you or nothing. And of course, surrendering is hard. Giving up what we want, giving up what we have spent so long building is hard. It's difficult. That's why Joel says in verse 27, we get a glimpse, our eyes are open to who, the one to whom we're surrendering. And he is completely other than any other gods that we may worship. He says, on this day, you will know that I am in Israel, that I am with you, that I alone am the Lord, your God. We've heard that so much that I'm not sure it really gets deep within us like it would to them. Because all the other gods that they worship, all the other nations around them, again, are worshiping gods that are certainly not for them. They're not with them. They're not present there. They don't want to be a part of these people's lives. But in the scheme they have developed, in their religious theological systems that they have developed, they've really created gods that look just like them. And Yahweh says, I am totally other than that. And despite everything you've done, despite all the sins you've committed, despite all the times when you've rejected me, I want you to know that I am with you. I am here. I am faithful. And I'm good. That's the God we're surrendering to. The God who sends his son into the world to be our savior. The God who sends his son to the cross And the God who has power to raise his son from the dead and is coming back for us. This is the God we are surrendering to. This is the God who wants to pour out his spirit upon us. And he's telling us, open our eyes, see him. We have to let go. We got to acknowledge our need for him. We have to think, be willing to think outside of the boxes that we have created into which we have put God into. You know, Karl Barth was, was considered one of the great theologians of the 20th century. Pope Pius XII called him the greatest theologian since Thomas Aquinas. And he wrote you know, volumes of material. He was a pastor. His epistle to the Romans is, is a signature work. His 12 volumes, Church Dogmatics, 
You know, people have read that for, for a number of years. And he's a powerful, well-respected theologian, brilliant man. He, he taught, he lectured in, in Basel, Switzerland. And he was there one day and he was on a streetcar and a man got on and sat down next to him. And they began to talk. It was evident to, to Bart that this man was, was a, a tourist. And he said, so is your first time in the city? He said, yes, it is. So are you enjoying yourself? He said, yeah, I am. So was there anything in particular that you would like to do while you're here? Anything you'd like to see? He said, yeah. He said, you know, I would love to meet the great theologian Karl Barth. And Bart kind of got a wry smile on his face. He said, and the guy said, do you know him? And he said, as a matter of fact, I do. He said, in fact, I give him a shave every morning. And a few blocks later, this tourist got off the, the streetcar saying to himself, they're not going to believe this back home. They are not going to believe it. I actually met Carl Bart's barber. <laughs> and you know, sometimes that's how we view God. We have this image of God. It's a tourist who said, I could never imagine Carl Bart riding a streetcar. I can't imagine God being personal and intimate with me and with us. I can't imagine God working in ways that are outside of ways that I can think and understand, but he does. Because when we think about our lives individually and corporately, we're like this. And God's image of our lives individually and corporately is this. If we'll just let him. Because God is good. And faithful and almighty. This is the day when we celebrate Christ the King. And it means that Christ reigns supreme, eternal. He is Lord and He has no rival. No rival. None. And this is the God we worship. This is the God to whom we are giving our lives. This is the God who, as his people, to whom we are giving thanks and asking him to do in us and for us what he wants to do, not limited to just what we might want. Father, I pray that you would open our eyes to you, to your greatness, your great power and love and compassion and goodness and faithfulness. And in the difficult times of life, when we struggle, when we wonder about our personal lives and our, the corporate life of your church, we are tempted to, to despair and pessimism Give us a new vision of you through Christ who is the King. And out of that vision, let us give thanks this day and every day.
please stand and join us as we sing.
May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.